0: Go to MindfulParentingCourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's MindfulParentingCourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: So much of behavior is around the mind. It's how you think. How you think creates how you feel. And how you feel creates your behavior.
0: You're listening to The Mindful Mama Podcast, episode number 276. Today, we're talking about understanding attachment with Paula Sachs. Welcome to The Mindful Mama Podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, A Mindful Guide to Breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, Confident Kids welcome back to the mindful mama podcast i'm happy to be talking to you and connecting and i'm really glad that you are here today and if you're brand new thank you very very much for picking the mindful mama podcast i'm so happy to connect with you too this is going to be a fabulous episode in just a moment I'm going to be sitting down with Paula Sachs she's a licensed clinical social worker and attachment specialist and she's an award-winning author and she's passionate about developing secure attachments in children so You've probably heard of attachment theory. You know, we we talk about what it is, if you haven't heard of it, and we talk about how we can help our children develop a secure attachment, which is so, so important. And then we're also gonna talk about what if I don't have a secure attachment style myself. So we're gonna discuss how secure attachment and how the attachment relationship develops, and how the primary caregivers set this foundation for all of our future relationships. It's a really fascinating conversation and really enlightening in that it gives us more understanding and awareness of ourselves and our children. So you're going to learn about what are the three styles of attachment and then the five primary conditions needed for the secure attachment and then why we really want to be intentional about our interactions. So this is a powerful and really informative episode. I know you're going to like it so much. And now join me at the table as I talk to Paula Sachs about attachment. Paula, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. And then you just said like you were hypnotizing someone. So now I have all these questions about that, but we're supposed to talk about, I would love to talk about attachment, of course, too. Um, of course, there's a lot I guess we could talk about, but um, we haven't talked a lot about attachment on the Mindful Mama podcast. And yet I know how important it was. I remember like the light bulbs going off in psychology class in college and being like, oh my God, was I insecurely attached? And just like wondering all these questions about it. and And of course, then a lot of us a lot of parents know a lot about attachment theory uh, or you know attachment parenting right like we know that that that's the importance of attachment sort of through that idea and like you know holding the baby and baby wearing and all of that stuff but maybe you could kind of give us like kind of the basics of of what attachment is and why it's so important first
1: Oh, I'd love to. So um, you just touched upon attachment parenting. Attachment parenting is actually different than attachment Mm -hmm. theory. Mm -hmm. Attachment parenting came out of attachment theory and it's a little bit different approach because the approach for attachment parenting is really staying with the baby and meeting the baby's needs 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. But attachment theory actually came about, we've been doing research on attachment for probably 70 years, but it really about 40 years ago, we started really honing in on the relationship between the mother and the child. And when I was in graduate school, I was one of five undergrads selected to do an attachment research for a year. And my teacher said, "We need five people, and it's like two semesters." And I was thinking, "Easy A, eh? you know, no papers, no reading, nothing." I was like, "Okay, I'll try it." Fell in love with attachment because I was the one who would stand behind the one-way mirror with a mother while we did these interactions and the interactions were like the parents and baby were filmed for three minutes in a room and it was the way they kind of interacted and then a moment like after three minutes a stranger would walk in and sit and we'd notice the baby and how the baby would respond and this is about 12, 12 um, about 12 months of age and this is a time that the baby would start getting kind of like a little bit like you know who is this person and, you know stranger anxiety etc and then after three minutes, the mother would leave and leave the baby with the stranger. And we'd film that interaction. How did the baby respond? And then the mother would come in and the stranger would come out and we would film the, the, the reuniting behavior. So then the mother would leave, the baby would be by himself, and we'd notice how the baby kind of reacted to this situation, and then the stranger would come into the baby, another three-minute episode, and was the stranger able to calm the baby, etc.? And then the mother would come in, the stranger would leave and the study would be over. But what we found, which is different than attachment parenting as attachment parenting is stay with the baby 100% of the time, but attachment theory is really focusing on the relationship of the mother baby. And the reason why I'm saying mothers, because most of the time, that's what we filmed was the mother, but it can be the primary caregiver, which means the person who's with the baby the most often.
2: All mm-hmm.
1: right. And So what attachment theory does is we take a look at the relationship. We also look at the the disruption. Disruption means when the mother's not there or a stranger's there or the baby's alone, and then how they reunite. And out of this study, we were able to come up with the five primary conditions needed for secure attachment.
0: Hmm. So, okay, so now, One thing I want to like point out here that's pretty interesting is that like, you know, here in the United States, we are like, you know, it's just like a a one family by themselves in a little house, right? But in a lot of cultures, a baby is like passed from person to person to person, you know, and there's, there's probably a lot of different attachments, I imagine. So I mean, the, obviously this didn't. This isn't taking that into account. It's kind of looking at this one primary attachment with with the mother, right? So I, I'm just curious, it, it did, did it take that into account in any way?
1: It does in the sense, like let's say Israel, for instance, they have kibbutzes mm-hmm. where, you know, a lot of, they're, they're like a, a community that raises a child. Mm-hmm. And we find that actually children are highly more secure in a situation like that. We also know that, let's say in, let's say some other countries, I want to say like China, where there's a lot of factory workers, we see a lot of dismissing attachment Hmm. because children are put into, let's say, away from the family, away from the mother, put into like a situation where there's one person take caring of a lot of children. Mm -hmm. All right. And the children are not getting their needs met on more of a consistent, reliable way. And that kind of fosters a little bit of insecure attachment. And this isn't about country. It's Mm -hmm. about style. Mm. And when I talk about attachment, I'm really I like to not label people because everybody I have people coming to my office saying, Paula, I know that I am an anxious preoccupied dismissive style. And I'm like, really? (laughs) You you think you know that this is, you know, because we all have this this tendency when we read something or a list of characteristics that we're like, oh, that's me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, and we all attack. Everybody has an attachment style the same way everybody has a zodiac sign
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: a zodiac sign has characteristics but it doesn't match us 100% of the time. So when I talk about attachment, I'm really talking about a set of characteristics that a person has. So you either have like positive characteristics for secure attachment, which is kind of like in adults, you'll see them where they, see closeness they um are comfortable with mutual dependency they have a positive self image they're 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 warm and open with others they have self esteem self you know observational skills um relationships tend to be stable this is this is a cluster of behaviors mm-hmm. does that make sense
2: yeah
1: and then when we see in The two types of insecure attachment, which is dismissive, or the cluster of behaviors for an anxious preoccupied, we also see kind of maladaptive behaviors, all right? And so for a dismissive, we see people that are kind of like aloof or hang back or kind of like an island onto their own. They're very comfortable alone. As a matter of fact, they're more comfortable alone than they are with people. All right so this is what i mean by maladaptive and we also see they have like a fear of a closeness they they tend to dismiss their own accomplishments the accomplishments of other people and then the other type would be the anxious preoccupied side which is a little bit more clingy and needy and um you know not comfortable with being alone they would much prefer at their own expense to be with people and that tends to be a little bit more rumination about the past or um, jealousy and compulsive caretaking because they that's how they're trying to meet their needs and attachment really plays out in a dyad because it's created in a dyad and for instance when a baby comes into the world they need another person for their survival, 100%. A baby cannot function on its own coming into the world. So a relationship is already established just by a baby coming into the world and someone taking care of that baby. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of attachment, it's to kind of like, it's the relationship that's in service of this child because it helps the child with emotional regulation. It meets the child's needs and it helps to set up the exploration later on. So attachment is really about in very early, and I wanna say zero to 12 months or 18 months or even 24 months, we know that there's five primary conditions. And what we're talking about is that a mother, caregiver, grandparent, whomever, is going to meet that child's needs in a way that the child can trust in the relationship trust in the person, and then can trust later on in the world. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. So that's what attachment is. So you're describing like these different sort of styles of attachment and that secure attachment is what we're wanting, right? Obviously that's the middle, that's like got all the positive characteristics. And I imagine there's a continuum, right? When you may have... Different attachment styles probably in different relationships too. But so, but for us as parents, we're for our kids, we're wanting to give them that security. We want them to feel that trust in the world. We don't want them to grow up anxious and and worried and preoccupied and all of those things, even if and for the challenges, right, for a lot of parents, is like I may feel anxious and worried and preoccupied and all of those things. So, so how do I give my child this sort of secure attachment? But I think. Uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see as you're going to describe, but like uh, in, the imp, in the in the in stages, it's it's pretty clear, right? Like it's just like meeting those needs and that love and all of those things. But you tell me, like, what are those what are those conditions that we need for a, a secure attachment? I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories.
1: Well, the, and, I, and I'm going to say this because a, a attachment really plays out in a, in a relationship, all right, so these five primary conditions that I'm gonna talk about, it's four new mothers, like know these conditions. And one of the things, and I will say mothers and fathers and grandparents, et cetera, not just mothers, okay? But I also wanna say that they're gonna play out in friendships with women, with friendships with men. They're gonna play out when you're dating. They're gonna play out when you're in a relationship when you're with your husband. They're gonna play out in um, a workplace. So when I talk about these five primary conditions, look at it from the lens of how you wanna be in a relationship. And I'm, I'll am focus just on the baby mother right now, but you can apply these to any relationship you're in because these are about the needs. And I'm gonna present them to you, these five primary conditions from the child's perspective. This is what the child needs. For instance, okay. okay. So the first one is felt safety. The child must feel felt safety. This establishes trust, and the behavior of the primary caregiver is protection. All right. Now, when I say protection, I don't mean just locking them in a car seat. I don't. I. I don't mean that the parent knows that they're protected. Like that's the the side of the crib is up. We know they're safe, mm-hmm. but we cognitively know that child doesn't really understand that because um, when a child comes in the world they start experiencing all of these ex- these needs not cognitively but through their sensor their 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 sense of sensory motor development mm-hmm. right so a child has to feel safe and for instance if a if a loud noise or a child is startled it causes them to be frightened inside. And so our, our goal is to really understand that and soothe that child back to their to their regulation, mm. to, you know, to their emotional regulation. Because mm. when we're able to do that, that child starts to internalize that, yes, I'm scared, but someone has come in to help me, which gets which which gets kind of internalized in the sense that the world will be safe for me because I've experienced this and I've been, and it's not the end of the world and I'm not alone. I'm not dealing with it by myself. And this is why it's so important. And once again, I want to just back up just for one second and say, it doesn't mean you have to meet your child's every single need. And if you don't like 98%, your child is it, you failed. No, <laughs> no, no, no.
0: <laughs> it can feel like a huge tall order to like Meet. Me, I mean, yeah, like an infant's needs are so immediate and demanding, but yeah, to meet every single need all the time is... And sometimes then people carry that desire to do that like when our children are a lot older. Well, and it also
1: becomes too much pressure on yourself and nobody is perfect. And if you strive for perfection, you're going to fail. You're going to miss the in, in the big picture. The big picture here is more often than not, just more often than not, okay? So even if I say... 60, 40, or 70, 30, you already feel just already so much more relaxed. <sighs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. More often exactly.
2: than
1: yeah. and, and, I, and I really want to say it. this. It's more often than not. Okay. Because there's no way anybody can meet anybody's needs 100%. And also you actually do a disservice when you meet someone's needs hundred percent, because just like I talked about that infant study I was in, Mm -hmm. What we were filming is how they repair those little disruptions when a child is alone or a child's with a stranger or when they're upset or when they're nervous or when they're scared. You need those moments so you can have a corrective experience because that's what sets the stage on resilience and that's what sets the stage on, you know, Mm self-regulation. All right. So you don't want to be perfect.
0: You've got to have those Inevitable challenges that even as an infant, you've got to have some, in, those inevitable challenges of like, it's, there's a little bit of time until mommy or daddy gets to me or whatever it is um, to, uh, we don't want to like manufacture them, but like, they, you know, that's life. I love that. Thank you for a, an, Un- underlining the importance of like it's it's just more than not. Yeah, and we don't have to be perfect. Thank you.
1: No, and i you know, Jason, it's too much pressure, and especially as you know, and I'll just say from a a, a mother per, um, perspective because I was a mother, mm-hmm. and not only are we mothers, but. We're wives, we're we're either single parents or we have jobs or we have other relationships that we're also balancing. So, you know, this all-inclusive where you have to meet, you know, a child's needs at the expense of everything else, it, it it sets you up for failure. And failure doesn't make you feel good about yourself. So what I want to present, and especially with attachment, let's focus on the positive. Let me just give you the five primary conditions. So the second one is feeling seen and known. Now, feeling seen and known is going to be in the sense that the parent behavior is attunement to really understand the inner state, the the interstate of your child, what what their what their internal world is feeling. All right. And this is important because a child has one cry. They have a one cry. And the parent has to kind of decipher. Is this a hungry cry? Is my child in pain? Is my child sleepy? Mm -hmm. This is what I mean by attunement. Mm -hmm. And also like when you know, like that's my child is off. There's something wrong here. It's this intuition that that's just not her. She's acting a little bit odd. That's what I mean by being seen and known. And what that does for a child is it really helps them with their self-development because they know that they have something and there's someone in the world that's really trying to help them figure it out because they don't have the wherewithal to figure it out. So they really need that other to come in and kind of help them.
0: Mm. And this is, this is really where that, that mindfulness piece comes in that like presence, like being able to be in a place of curiosity And, you know, kindness and curiosity. Who are you today? Like, let me be curious rather than kind of making the mental shortcuts. Like, let me really see and hear you. I love that.
1: Yeah. So that's the second one. And then the third one is felt comfort. Now the child needs to internalize these feelings. It's not just pick up your child when you're crying and looking at your phone, you're doing an instrumental love, which is picking up your child. Mm -hmm. But if you're not present and mindful with that child to really soothe them and reassure them. So the child gets this internal message that when they're upset, they're going to be comforted. It's not the end of the world. You know, their whole sense of self doesn't crumble. Okay. And that they're going to, their need is going to be met once again, more often than not. All right. But what the child starts to understand is that they're going to be taught by the parent behavior how to have emotional regulation. So they'll be able to do that themselves. The whole goal is that they are able to internalize it so they can start self soothing. And they know that, you know, when they're disappointed, they're able to calm themselves down because they've experienced this so many times before. We don't want to have a child who's never experienced disappointment to be 17 and a half and they get rejected from Harvard. Yeah. That should not be their first disappointment in the world. And disappointments when you're 12 months old or, you know, at two years old or three years old, those are small disappointments. We want a lot of small disappointments that we know how to comfort and soothe. So we know that as we get older, hey, been here before, I can do this.
0: And so I think it's like, it, it, I love what you're saying. And it's really clear when kids are infants and like under two and things like that, that they're regulating through us, like they're regulating their emotions through our, their attachment to us, through coming to us for that soothing and things like that. And I, I, sometimes I think it's, it can be hard to, hard to see, I think as parents, like when when does that transition start right you know as far as like how how old are kids when the transition starts to to more self-regulation or you know when when should we expect more self-regulation sometimes we we um it's it's hard to remember some, for a lot of parents with a five-year-old that like, they're maybe still regulating their, are they have upset feelings. So they're coming to you for that regulation. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Absolutely. And I mean, you know, even as I talk about these, so far, I've talked about three primary conditions, Mm -hmm. but these do not stand alone. It's not like, oh, at 12 months, you know, security, let's check that box. We did it. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, at 18 months, feeling seen and known, we check that box. These are constantly playing out all the time and they're interwoven. So there's going to be times that felt safety is going to be with felt comfort. Mm. And there's going to be times that feeling seen and known is going to be played out with the fourth primary condition, which is feeling valued. And we right. need
0: these as adults. Like, I mean, we're, I mean, obviously we're talking about it for small kids and and other kids, but we need these as adults. I need all of those things
1: too. <laughs> well, that's the piece. If we develop them and if we develop them in ourselves, so if we, let's say, have a insecure attachment style and we go into therapy and we move our insecure attachment style into a secure attachment, then we have developed these.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so th- when I say that, even though we're talking about it as children, When you play this out in this relationship, it will play out in all relationships because everything we're talking about, and I just love the fact that you said that, because you're applying it to what you need in in a relationship. Well, we all need these primary conditions in a relationship. So I'm basically giving you the tools to create them if you're a mother, but I give these same tools to my couples in marriage counseling, and I give these same tools in dating, when I talk about dating styles, because these are, this is the basis of secure attachment and you want a secure, secure attachment style marriage, Mm -hmm. because once again, it's, it's, it's easier. It's, it's conflict. You have conflict, but you're able to resolve those conflicts. Do you know what I mean? And it play it's so, Let me get to the fourth one, which is feeling valued, and then we can, you know, take it on. But feeling valued is my favorite. And I've recently written two books for one is for new parents, which is called The Importance of Love Raise. And it's based on this number four feeling valued. And the reason why I wrote it is because the only way to create self esteem in a child is that the child has a sense of accomplishment and that the, the, the parent or caregiver rejoices in that sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And when you rejoice in that sense of accomplishment, it's called amplifying the affect. And what happens is the child feels really good about themselves. And that's how you create self-esteem in a child. It's not just give a trophy because they showed up for something that will erode self-esteem because self-esteem is created once again when you have a sense of accomplishment in the child, and it, mm-hmm. when they're young, they have all these little sense of accomplishments. They they're able to, you know, go to their room and get their blanket and bring it to you. That's a sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Do you know they're able to help you with, you know, or help a mother with the, you know, with the newborn by saying, you know, can you go to the room and get, you know, a, a, a diaper for me? The child runs along and brings it back, that's a sense of accomplishment. All right. And children have sense of accomplishment, accomplishments all the time. But this is what creates self-esteem, is when you acknowledge those sense of accomplishments. And it's so important. And one of the way you ways you can do it, and especially with children, because children learn through their eyes, not their ears. All right. So if you give a sense of accomplishment verbally, but you don't show it on your face, there's no joy or happiness coming from your face into your eyes, but you say it. Well, they don't really hear it because they don't see it. So the reason why I named my books Love Rays is to send this message that when you look at your child, even if you don't say anything, if you just pour love from your eyes into theirs, They feel good about themselves because don't forget, most of this is set before children have a cognitive understanding. So words mean nothing. They're assessing everything in the world by how you present to them. If you come at them with this loving face and happiness, they coo back at you. Mm. But if you come at them because you're stressed, you're busy and you're just picking them up and have to feed them before your next phone call, that child is going to feel that anxiety. Does that make sense? So when we talk about mindful parenting, we want to really talk about being present in that moment. And that's key. And one of the things that I can't stress enough is love rays. And we know it when you, when you, and just remember that time. And if you haven't, if you're pregnant, I always tell pregnant women, this as well, notice that moment that that child is born and that child is put in your arms. Or if you're an adoptive mother, that child, that time you meet that child, you get this surge of love. And you can't stop smiling no matter how much you try. You're just in awe and wonderment of this little baby. Well, that child is feeling valued in that moment. They don't understand what they're feeling, but it feels good. It just feels good.
3: Mm-hmm. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks.
4: You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast, Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff.
1: And once again, you know, felt safety is is all the time. Seen and known is all the time. It doesn't just happen in infancy. You carry this out through childhood. You carry it out through teenage years when they need it, even though they're being atrocious. You know what I'm saying? And even when they're adults, (laughs) when they're adults and you look at them with love, they feel it. We all feel it.
0: I love that. Yeah. Uh, With my teenager, I have a 13 year old who's about to turn 14 soon. So we're, we're in the thick of that. And yes, she's grumpy and and miserable a lot of the time. And, and I try to just like send her that, you know, uh, know, like silent mental, I love you. I appreciate you. And just tell her that, you know, because it's like, I know it's such a, incredibly hard time. So I love this. So feeling the sense of accomplishment. And as you describe this, um, I thought of, um, I just recently, my kids have been in monastery schools all the way along. And it's such an incredible um, system, but just, we just taught, I just had a conversation with a, a monastery educator about that. And this idea of the sense of accomplishment when you're like two years old, you know, how my two-year-old got to like make scrambled eggs and she could do all these things and she did them herself, all of these things at her level to do them, her, that them, themselves. I mean, the accomplishment that comes from that is like so powerful. So I think that's, uh, it, I just want to kind of make that connection mentally. It's so cool. So, yeah. um, What about the fifth one? What's our fifth one? Well, and the fifth one
1: is a little bit later. And what this is, is, and all of these are internalized. It's from the child's perspective, once again. So when that child has experienced that, you know, all by doing these, you know, one through four, what happens is the child gets this, this feeling that they're supported 100%. And when that child gets that feeling, what happens is when they're encouraged to like be who they are and their own interest and what they're about and it's 100% support, they feel that they can go off in the world and they can find their path. And it's because they really do believe that there's people in the world that want the best for them. And even as I talk, you can even hear like, you know, sometimes the people who don't have this sense of self or this sense of support. And you you can hear it and see it. And so much of behavior is around the mind, it's how you think, how you think creates how you feel and how you feel creates your behavior. So what I'm trying to do by, by sharing these five primary conditions, it's about this internal narrative that when the child starts to learn to think, all right, so for instance, let's take feeling valued, the fourth one, you know, and more often than not, keep that in mind. So if a child is on the soccer field, let's say, and they and all they want to do is, you know, make a goal. That's 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 all that's our score goal. They they just they just want to score a goal. And let's say in that moment, you know, a parent turns away when the child gets the ball and the child, the phone rings, the parent walks away because it was, you know, taking a phone call. The parent has no idea the child's gonna score a goal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And let's just say it's missed. The parent missed it the child scored. The first thing a child will do is look at the parent to see if they saw because it's that matching, you know, come together and let me rejoice in this moment with somebody. Mm. But if a child is on the soccer field and there's no parents there and they score a goal, what happens is they kind of start dismissing those things as, okay, it's no big deal. Mm. Well, we don't want to dismiss that because that's about self-esteem so for instance, if a parent did that, and it happens to all of us, once again, more often than not, right? If that happens once a couple times, it's not a big deal because the child still has the reservoir of all those times that the parent was there. Mm-hmm. But let's say it happens, it happens more often than not that the parent's not there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What happens is the child will stop turning to the parent
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they'll start dismissing accomplishments, which is why later on in life, when you see people that, you know, score through life very well, go to the best schools, get great jobs. And then they walk in at 50 and say, I'm empty inside.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, it's because those they've blown off all these beautiful moments that should have been senses of accomplishment. And they were accomplishments, but they weren't rejoiced and they weren't shared and they weren't made to feel make you feel really good about yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. They're happy. They did it, but you don't have this internal joy and one of the things that I really like to stress with um, the five primary conditions is, and I've been a mom, have been here, it's the joy of parenting. I'm talking about the joy of parenting right now, not getting caught up in the chores of parenting and, you know, all the, the chores that go along with it, but really just take a look in these rejoicing moments because parenting should be enjoyable, Because what's gonna be internalized is the children are gonna feel that my parents really did enjoy having me around. My childhood was fun, we laughed a lot. Yeah, everybody has issues, everybody has stuff, but the overarching theme is gonna be joy.
0: Yeah, yeah, we want that. I mean, because, sorry, as you're talking about this, I think about this idea of uh, sometimes as parents, people come with a sense of like, I want to do it right. And, and a feeling of not good enough in themselves. And so then take that feeling then to parenting and say, okay, I'm going to be at every single thing. I'm going to see every single goal. I'm going to rejoice in every single thing for my child. But that can, sometimes that can come from a sense of unworthiness in ourselves. Do do you see what I mean? Like what, what, what happens in a a situation like that as far as attachment goes?
1: Well, it's interesting because um, obviously secure attachment is what we want. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a healthier way of being. And, you know, there are attachment styles. We do learn our attachment from our primary caregiver. So let's say for instance, you've got someone with secure attachment as a father, and you've got someone with an anxious preoccupied style as a mother, you know, these styles are going to come out. And I'll give you an example just to illustrate the three different types and I'll use it from a parent perspective. All right. So let's say we have a child who gets in the elevator, they're three years old and they say, mommy, mommy, I want to press the button. Right. We all have been there. Right. Well, a securely attached mother will know that that's a sense of accomplishment and it's a really good feeling state. So they're like, of course, go ahead and press the button. Oh, I'm so happy. This is great. You did such a great job. Okay. Because it's, it's it's a it's a shining moment they recognize in their child that you know they feel really good about themselves right mm-hmm. now let's say a, a person who has a dismissive attachment style all right gets in the elevator with the three-year-old and then child says mommy mommy i want to press the button and the dismissive style will kind of in the whole reason why it's called dismissive they dismiss things
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that will be like do whatever you want i don't care or, you know, I'm looking at my phone, sure, press the button. Okay, and the child presses one. Oh, well, you know, okay, next time, you know, you'll do better or whatever. But you don't get this sense of like accomplishment. Hmm. It's been dismissed. So what happens is a child will start to s- dismiss their own senses of accomplishment, and they'll stop bringing them around.
0: Yeah, they're just All right. Gonna- brushing it off yeah well they they're don't gonna care pro- so the parent's not caring about it so you learn not to care about it
1: well you deactivate your whole attachment system and you start not you're not not bringing those things to a parent because you start internalizing that's that more often not piece. you start internalizing that they don't really care and that becomes the mind narrative So these behaviors will turn into a perspective. And if a child has a perspective that, oh yeah, my dad missed it. Oh, shoot. You know, he missed that goal. You know, he's seen all my other ones. I wish he would have seen that one. Mm. Or, you know, my dad really cares more about business than me. So you can see how these behaviors start when a child starts to develop their cognitive ability, they start matching their cognitive ability with their sense of experience, Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And then the third style is let's say an anxious preoccupied style of attachment gets into an elevator with a three year old and an attachment anxious preoccupied, they tend to be a little bit more focused on other things. Okay. Not so much. It's like, so an anxious preoccupied style would be like, no, don't press the button. You know, let these nice people, we don't want to inconvenience all the other people in the elevator, let them press the button. So they, they they, this style will tend to be a little bit more focused on other people and not necessarily on the sense of accomplishment. Mm. So these styles will play out. Okay. All
0: right. Interesting. So uh, we, we want to, we want so for us to give our kids this secure attachment that we want them to have, this sense of trust in the world, all of these things. We want to give them this, just to review this felt sense, this sense of safety, felt sense of safety. We want to see them and know them. We want to soothe them. We want to show them they're valued and, you know, we want to support their best self. So, but then for a parent who may have. Um, may discover that, th- well, there's a couple of things I want to go here. Um, but for a parent who may have, you know, may discover like, oh, I, I don't have that sense of secure attachment. I don't have that sense of trust in the world. I, I may be more like anxious than, than not anxious. What they, their goal then is going to be to try to help themselves get to a secure attachment place.
1: I would say yes. And I, the reason why I say yes on that is because we have something which is, you know, even though we're talking about a detachment style, you know, these are all clusters of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And if we get the wherewithal to really understand some of the maladaptive behaviors and turn them into more an adaptive style. Okay. So someone who let's say is dismissive. And I, I, I work with adults in my office. So it's very difficult to get someone who has a dismissive attachment style to come in for therapy because their stance is kind of like, there's nothing wrong with me. It's, it's the world. That's the problem. You know, I'm, I'm fine. Or they'll come into to, seek therapy or seek treatment if the wife is insisting. Okay. Or something has gone awry and they're not getting it, or they are coming in and saying, I feel empty inside. I don't know what's going on. All right. Um, they do quite well in therapy. Because what happened very early on is they have this, once again, a perceived rejection. And I'm talking about that father who turned away on the phone. You know, the child will, not that the parent rejected the child, no way did the the parent reject the child, the parent just took a phone call. But it's this perceived rejection on the child's part. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, and I, the one thing about attachment is I really want to make this very clear. This is not about the parents have just done something so egregious. No, 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 no. It's the way the child perceives the behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, which is more often than, so we go back to more often than not. So the father turns away, and I'm going to just say father on this one, because I've consistently been saying it, you know, the father turns away. Well, the child, if, if the father does that all the time, The child will start to develop this perception that the father cares more about business than him. Okay, the father might not, but it's just in those moments. He's not aware that this is kind of a rejecting behavior. Mm -hmm. Okay, and And I don't, by all means, I say that parents do not go out of their way to neglect their children or go out of their way to cause rejection or to cause rejection, but it's the way the child will start to perceive it in their needs, you know, because children have all these needs, all right? And this is where it gets to be, it gets to be very important. And when I say focus on these five primary conditions, regardless of your attachment style, by just knowing these and really making these the primary piece in that relationship is really going to help you regardless what style you have. All right. One of the things we do know is that an anxious, preoccupied style set of behaviors, they tend to focus so much on other people. And what happens is the child starts to perceive this kind of like neglect. And children will assess very quickly what mood their parents is in when they walk in the room. And if someone has, let's say, a very inconsistent attachment style, or is let's say an anxious preoccupied style where they're more interested in, you know, what's going on with the neighbors and making sure the neighbors are happy that they just kind of push their child aside, a child will start doing anything they can to get their parents' attention. And they'll you'll see a little bit more acting out. Mm. So these things do play out, but, I don't, for for new parents, if we just focus on the five primary conditions, it will help them so much with regardless what kind of style they have. Mm -hmm. It's later on when, you know, you've been a parent for a while and things are starting to get to, you know, starting to get a little bit hard because attachment is created in a dyad, a dyad between two. It plays out in a dyad. All right. And so what's going to help is like, let's say therapeutic intervention later, because it will have to be healed and repaired in a dyad.
0: Meaning if somebody has a anxious preoccupied attachment, then that needs to be repaired in the context of relationship. It's not something that someone can do on their own.
1: Well, they would need guidance through that. So Mm -hmm. You know, like I kind of consider myself as I am a therapist, but I also feel like I'm also kind of a guide because I'll be like, well, this is the way we want to look at this. And this is the way we want to do this. And, you know, once again, I'm talking about something very cognitive, which it would be for an adult. But for a child, if we just kind of focus on this feeling of safety and we just want to be very mindful of making sure they feel seen and known. This is about the parent's behavior, but it's not about the parent so much. It's about what the child needs and we want to put the child's need here to be very mindful of that because later on you know attachment is about needs as well so if you're in a marriage and a lot of times what i see in dating is i see opposites attract so i'll see a very let's say someone with dismissive style will be very attracted to someone who has an anxious preoccupied style because they're opposites
0: Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I could see how that could happen. Yeah.
1: Well, it does happen because you know, it you know, what the other what that you know, what what is perceived by one looks so fabulous in the other. Mm-hmm. But then it causes problems because neither one knows how to help the other person meet their needs. So then it becomes huge, but then once again what I do is I focus on these five primary conditions. And we keep focused because this is what it's all about in all relationships. So what we want to do as mothers is, and parents and grandparents with a newborn, we want to get these in there. We want to establish them. We want to make them strong. We want to put all those good things into the children. And then you have a better chance later on.
0: Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. So safety, feeling seen and known soothed feeling valued and feeling that support for your your best self i love i love all of those so what are, what are some ways we can do that? I mean, what did, how did you do that with your kids when you were, you you would obviously study this in grad school and then there you go, you, you have some children. Oh my gosh, there's a chance.
1: (laughs) Well, let's put it this way. I was not a perfect mother. So even though I'm sitting here as an expert and I'm talking about all this, when I went to graduate school, I did it later on. So after college, I got married and had my children, I couldn't afford to go to graduate school. So I got married and I had my children. And believe it or not, you know, I wasn't focusing on attachment. You know what, I was focusing on being married and, you know, making sure that, you know, my house was good and my marriage was good and, you know, my children and I put them in and I thought I did everything well, you know, Mm -hmm. and I did. My kids are great. They're fabulous. They have turned out so well, but it's not because I was cognitively aware of these five primary conditions, right? Mm -hmm. So I went back to school when they were probably in junior high and, you know, elementary school and junior high. And I, I, I got my graduate degree and then I really got back into attachment. Mm -hmm. and it was at this point, I got back into it, and I was part of a group of people in Boston, and we decided, we used to meet regularly and discuss our cases with attachment, and we wrote the book, Attachment Disturbances in Adults, Treatment for Comprehensive Repair, and this became, it's 793 pages or 95 pages of dense everything about attachment, And out of that, I took those and I took just the five primary conditions because that book is really a textbook. And I did this new book for new parents. And I said, look, focus on these five, just focus on these five, make it easy. Because as a new mom, you know, a lot of people get scared away from attachment because when you're pregnant, you're like, I'm just going to love my baby and everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to have any problems. And I agree with you, but let me tell you, love is a verb. And let me give you the actions needed in that love to do it. It doesn't mean you're not going to have problems. It truly doesn't. It just means you have skills and where to keep your focus on, not so much on the child's behavior, but focusing on the relationship between the two of you is so much more important because it takes away from they're doing something bad. I'm a failure. No, no, you're just focusing on the relationship and what the relationship needs are these five primary things. And we keep it out of the individualness of it because attachment is relationship. Mm-hmm.
0: Does that make sense? I, I love this. Cause it's like about coming back to what's really important. You know, we, as humans, we have our, our negativity bias. We tend to focus on all the things that the chores that my child didn't do or um, the, <laughs> the way they're beating up on the brother and blah, 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 all these things. It's just, part of our wiring is to focus on those. And what your, your invitation here is to say, these are what's, this is what's really, really important. Like let's take a step back. Let's get that perspective to say, to see what is, what is really important more often, more often than not, Mm -hmm. you know, to send those love rays out of your eyes (laughs) and to, to, to have that sense of safety. So I guess if we go back to the idea of, um, which is not the same as attachment theory, attachment parenting, those, those ideas, they're, they're based, I guess, on attachment theory, but you can, you know, have the sense of safety and feeling seen and heard and known without, for instance, like sleeping with your child for a long time or having them in a separate room and, and those kinds of of things. I assume.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think attachment parenting—it was set up with the bees. It was like birth bonding, breastfeeding, baby wearing, you know. And I mean, I think those things are great, but at some point, the child's got to sleep in its own bed, you know. So whether it's five or six or six months old, do you know I guess, what I mean? It,
0: yeah, I mean, I guess my problem with it, like, I, it was very influential and and helpful for me. I, I did all that baby wearing, and actually, I slept with my child for for. A, some time. But my problem is, is the feeling, the guilt trip on a parent who's like, I have needs, you know, I, I have need, I have a need for sleep. Like people can respond. I mean, we don't know how we're going to respond to lack of sleep until we're in it. And it can be incredibly difficult. And then you, you know, a parent may feel guilty for wanting to sleep on their own. You know,
1: it's just, I, you know what, I, I agree with you. And I, I think what's, what's so hard, especially for moms, is we want to be perfect. We want to just, we want to do everything right. And the idea that we're going to mess up our child, there's no, you don't mess up your child. All right. But if we don't take care of ourselves as women, we are going to be of no use to our baby. And that's really what it comes down to. And it's the same thing when you get on an airplane and the pilot says, if, you know, in case the oxygen mask comes down, they don't say moms, put it on your children first and then put yours on because you're going to be of no use if you're worn down and you're going to be of no use. And one of the things that you just said, like about being guilty, you know, what causes guilt is, is this idea of should. Mm -hmm. So if you find your mind going into should, you need to redirect that because once your mind clicks into should I should sleep with my baby. What happens is the minute you say should, what gets activated is guilt or resentment. There's nowhere else to go. Your resentment will come out if you do, your guilt will come out if you don't. And you're locked into this guilt and resentment power struggle. So what we wanna do is we wanna turn it around and say, I want to sleep with my baby. My baby's only gonna be six months old for one month. That's it. After that, she's not six months old anymore. So if we put it into more of a positive perspective and we say, this is my baby. This is, I get such a small window for a one month old, or I get such a small window for a two month old. Why don't I just enjoy that instead of getting caught up in what I should be doing? Because if you get caught up in should, you're caught between guilt and resentment and you're going to be miserable because there's no way out.
0: Should is either, it leads to either guilt or resentment. So. It's so true. I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah. So let's, let's not shit on ourselves.
1: Well, exactly. And I'll tell you something that goes across the board on, on, you know, because so much of it, and it also depends on your attachment style. Like, you know, if you have, let's say a little bit more of an anxious, preoccupied attachment style, you're going to constantly be comparing to other mothers and everybody else is doing a great job. And, you know, you comparing yourself to somebody is, is, is one of the worst things you can do because you're more focused on your thoughts than on your relationship with your baby. Mm. And the baby is sitting there not even involved in your thoughts about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation is that we focus on the relationship between the mother and the baby. And we have to be kind to ourselves. We're in it for the long haul. And when I say 18 years, you're what, at four, year 14 right now? Yeah. That seems like a long time. But if you break it down and say, gosh, she's only one month for one month, or she's only a year at one year, she's only, you know, two for one year, or she's only three for one year. When you break it down into those kind of stages, you enjoy it so much more because it's not this like life sentence ahead of you that you have to be perfect for the next 18 years. It doesn't work that way. Be, it's staying in the moment.
0: Be present, exactly. Yeah, it's just yeah, be present and and the stories, right? Like you're talking about like that storytelling mind and getting some freedom from that storytelling mind to really be present and be able to appreciate what's here and now. It's so, so beautiful. Paul, this has been amazing. I could probably <laughs> talk to you about these things for a really long time. Is there anything that we miss that you think is important for, for parents to hear about attachment and, and for parents of whatever age kids? I
1: I think what you want to really do is you just want to really look at your children once again with love. When your children are older, they'll say to you, mom, why are you looking at me like that? Well, because they will, because they notice it. They notice when you're looking at them with love and they're like, like my daughter will say, mom, why do you have that look on your face? (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I want to just say, stay present, enjoy the moment, You know, it's such an honor to be a mother. It's such an honor to bring somebody in the world. And it's such a, it's such a joyful time. And I think that if we get caught up in too many other things that, you know, let's say take away from that joy, we miss the whole process. And once again, you know, it's like now I walk through my house, my children are grown and I walk through the house and I go by their bedrooms and I think, wow, did I really raise my children? Did they once really live in this room? Because- you know, when you look ahead 18 years, it seems like a long time. But when you look back, it just goes by in a second. So kind of bring it to the moment right now, because it really is a moment.
0: Yes.
4: So, so
0: beautiful. Um, I love this, Paula. Where can people find out? more about you. And since now we are on a video podcast, audio listeners, go check out the YouTube channel. I'll show a, an image of your book. Meet meep, meep. Back here. Okay. Uh, love Raise. Where can people find out more about you and, and what you're doing in the world?
1: Yes, please. You can go to my website, www.paulasax.com. I'm also on the attachmentproject.com And um that's how you find me. And just want to say, enjoy it, enjoy life, enjoy parenting and enjoy life and enjoy your relationships. You can make them richer just by knowing how to do it. It's not a mystery.
0: Yay. Yes. Yes. I love it. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and the work that you've done and the wisdom you brought and how you've broken it down to, this really accessible, digestible level, it really, um, it really matters and it makes a big difference in the world. And I know it's gonna be amazing ripple effects. So, um, so thank you so much, Paula.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me.
0: Attachment is so important. Also, I just want you to know that sometimes we worry so much because we're taught you know the ages zero to three are so vital and they're so important for kids but you know what that's kind of horrible sometimes for us as parents because that's when we're at the least skillful with the least experience we probably have not invested in any training or help so if you sometimes worry that oh my gosh i totally messed up my child between the ages of one and three Don't. Everything is always changing. Impermanence and constant change are just facts of life. Nothing stays the same. Everything is constantly changing and what we practice grows stronger. We can heal relationships at any age and it is never too late to heal relationships. It's never, never too late to heal relationships i taught mindful parenting to a group in person in my community a low-income group and a grandma was there taking the course with me because she was taking care of her six-year-old grandson and she came to me at the end and she was so pleased she was calmer less reactive she was getting more cooperation from her grandson things were going a lot better but that wasn't what she was so happy about what she was so happy about was that she had healed her relationship with her adult daughter so it's never too late and these are the most important things in our life so if you are interested in learning more about mindful parenting want to get on the wait list for the next time we open you can go to mindfulparentingcourse.com if you are a therapist or a teacher or social worker and you're interested in bringing the mindful parenting course into your local community i still have a couple spots left like i said in the intro and you can learn more about the mindful parenting teacher training and certification course at mindful course.com slash teach i have just a couple spots left for the fall and you would enroll now to go through the course yourself so To learn more about that, check those out and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. I want to hear what your takeaways are. I always appreciate that feedback. It's really why I do this work is to connect with you and to help you, to help all of us grow calmer and grounded and stronger so that we can make things better for the next generation. So If what we did today on this podcast with Paula affected you, please let me know. It really makes a huge difference to me, truly. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you a beautiful week. Uh, And next week, we will be back talking about how to tame toddler tantrums. So be sure to be here next week. And I will connect with you again there. When I say namaste, I mean that the light in me sees the light in you and acknowledges it and you are energy and i am energy and what you do in your life affects me and i affect you we all are interconnected with each other so thank you sincerely for taking the time to learn something new and to create more understanding and awareness in your life because it affects all of us so thank you so much for listening my friend namaste